Hey everybody, you're listening to Top Quartile, where we bring you stories from the front lines of growth in community-focused financial services. Welcome back to Top Quartile. Always great to talk to Tim, who's a frequent guest for good reason. So Tim, welcome back to the show. Always enjoy it. All right. It's kind of crazy to think that we're halfway through 2023. And so this is a, you know, just a good time. There's a lot of movement in the industry. Uh, I don't think uh, anybody had, um, you know, near deposit panic on their 2023 bingo cards. Uh, But that, you know, of course, was an eventful part of the first, first part of the year. But let's talk. So we're talking today about just what are some of the key trends we're seeing in the industry as we meet with, you know, uh, banks and credit unions all over the country. And so, so Tim, what do you, what are you, what are you seeing as you, as you talk to, to folks all over the country? Yeah, uh, I think it's been really interesting. I've had the opportunity to, you know, present at different conferences and interact with a wide range of, of, of different bankers, large and small organizations. Um, I would say that generally speaking, there's been kind of a capitulation, a process of capitulation that deposits are going to reprice. There's nothing you can do to prevent it. Uh, penetration uh, rates and average balances for what had been debt categories, uh, CDs, money market savings accounts are going to return to quote normal levels, which frankly, we haven't had normal levels probably since the early 2000s. Um, and so because it's been that long, I think there was, uh, and because of the rapidity of the, of the of the rate increases, there's a little bit of denial going on that this was actually going to happen. But you can look at all the earnings reports and see um, the cost of funds and how aggressively it has increased. And I think the capitulation is essentially a recognition that hoping customers don't wake up as rates rise is not going to work as a strategy. And so I think that's the biggest thing is just, um, and then kind of, kind of coming to grips with that and saying, okay, then what is a strategy? If hope's not a strategy, what is a strategy? I think initially in this cycle, um, rates are going up. Uh, you start to see pricing out there, uh, a lot more longer term CDs which made some sense if I can lock someone in on the front end of a rising rate cycle to a longer term, that's going to pay off. And I've heard some clients say, you know, you know that's really paid off for them where they were able to lock in some 3% money and long-term CDs that won't mature for another year. I think probably around uh, November, December, January, more of that started to shift to short-term CDs um, because you started to have kind of a cresting of the rate environment. So, um, so I think a shift there to shorter term maturities. And then most recently, the trend has been more towards money market savings accounts where there's more flexibility. Uh, if rates are basically near where they're going to end up, you know, being able to grow in a liquid category where you have more control you know, over the next months and years of your pricing by tier and your tier structure overall, based on what the Fed actually does or what rates actually do compared to what we think they're going to do, um, I think, you know, has been more a trend. So broad trend going back again, year and a half, 
from long-term CDs, short-term CDs now into more liquid savings. That again, as general, there's obviously exceptions based on match funding and other balance sheet, you know, individualized balance sheet needs. So I think those two things, just the capitulation of, of the industry that this is going to happen and it's already happening. And, um, the, you know, hope is not going to prevent it from happening. And then adjusting, you know, uh, course, uh, as rate, as that cycle has kind of worked its way through towards hopefully the end of the cycle or near the end of the cycle. It's been really fascinating to watch. Yeah. And so, um, we think about, um, you know, all, all the, the phenomenon you, you talked about, you know, the fact that somebody, um, hope, hoping is not, hoping somebody doesn't wake up is, is not a strategy because everybody's advertising. And so if, mm-hmm. if, if, if you're, if we're, we're seeing, if, if a client is not proactively talking about the options they can offer, then that person is, is, well, first of all, there are some people that are just completely still asleep. Um, they're tuned out to everybody, but if, for those people who are waking up, if, if we're not, um, you know, proactively messaging to them, then we risk, you know, ha- having those funds walk out the door, uh, particularly for those less sticky clients or, or even hot money type situations. So what, you know, what, what, what are the things that are maybe the, uh, kind of current best practice in, in raising deposits efficiently and effectively? Yeah, it's interesting about this the other day. You know, all of the talk and billions of dollars spent on customer relationship management over the years, over really the last 20, 25 years in the industry. I mean, you're talking about billions of dollars in, in, in software expenses and focus, uh, you know, strategic focus, committees, all of this customer relationship management, all of you know, uh, the need for good CRM is back with a vengeance. You know, when you go through three years where half your balance sheet is essentially, you know, um, doesn't require active management because rates are 0% and no one's paying anything. You, you know, it's in customer relationship management takes on different importance or, or lack of importance because a whole range of needs are, are not being addressed in a competitive way. Um, across the market. So when you say, okay, now you have to compete for deposits, wait, what's getting exposed is what's the relative strength of your, the relationships you have with your customers. And those who have been good at CRM and focused on it, consistent with a personalized, targeted outreach, marketing sales are benefiting now because they're better able to hold on to the deposits that they have. Customers are willing to stick with them because they're committed to them. They're, uh, those deposits are anchored by transactional relationships and day-to-day engagement in, in, in mobile apps and, and debit card usage. Um, uh, checking account relationships that are anchored by credit uh, with the same institution. Fundamentally different situation than uh, deposit dollars that are, have been sitting out there earning nothing that are not anchored by, uh, a transactional relationship, uh, or other, a, a broader set of needs met in that relationship. Those, that's the money that's moving. Um, and it's interesting when you look at bank versus credit union, you know, credit, 
all credit unions have some degree of single service savings legacy. And there's a lot, you know, depending on the seg and, and history, some of that is if it's an educational seg, some of it are retired teachers who have had always kept their money in a, in a share account, just sat there forever. Um, and, and so you have kind of that dynamic. And if that, those, that is the, 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 those dollars, if they are not, you know, accompanied by a transaction relationship anchored by a CD or a loan are moving out for better rates because there's no loyalty there. There's no relationship there to anchor it. So that again, customer relationship management without a relationship is portfolio management, I guess. I don't know what you call it. On the bank, not <laughs> really interesting. This has kind of come up, uh, it, kind of interesting phenomena, phenomenon just in terms of uh, the last few years. In the run-up to 250 on the Fed funds in 17, 18, 2019 even, a lot of banks, when Fed funds were at 200 basis points or 250, did a lot of money market savings promos because they could offer 2%, 2.5%, maybe 3% and fund you know, commercial loan growth and other things they were doing. And then when interest rates dropped to 0% in March 2020, that money basically froze for three years uh, and it is unfreezing rapidly. So, um, you know, people that responded to these money market promo offers back in that period are waking up. They're saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not earning anything on this money. These people over here offering 5%, uh, I'm going to move the money. It's a liquid account. I can move it today. Um, and so if you have been consistent on cross-selling checking accounts to high-priority households, particularly high depositors who are fighting your balance sheet and don't have a checking, you're way better off um, than if you haven't been doing those things. Uh, and But it's not too late. Um, it's not too late to start. And it's prioritized, personalized outreach. And not to belabor the point, but I'll add one more element to this. When all of this was happening with rates, which is creating all of this stress on, on funding levels. At the same time that was happening, banking has become a digital business. And uh, SCP found this out when, you know, they didn't have the strength of relationships. They probably wish they would have had and the money could be moved almost instantly through digital channels. And so uh, when you think about por the portfolio management, customer management integration that I've been talking about, and you overlay the digital component and the fact that you're not talking to customers in branches anymore and you're not talking to customers on the phone anymore. If you're not proactively communicating with your customers about their financial needs and about your deposit offerings in particular, uh, you're going to see attrition uh, at a dollar and a relationship level um, and because these customers are exposed to, as you've said, to comp competing offers. You have these online savings uh, accounts that are low friction, well-priced. Uh, and if we're not act out there actively uh, talking to customers about what we have to offer, uh, the silent attrition will kill you. That That's always, that's what killed us in the 04 to 07 cycle when you and I worked together at First Tennessee. It's not the person complaining in the branch about their CD, right? It's the person who moved 60 or 80,000 out of their money market account and never told anybody, never gave us not to keep the business. So. Making it easy for customers to let us know, I'm thinking about moving my money, I'm in market, and here's what we have to offer. 
is critical, more critical than it's ever been as our businesses become digital and as rates have raised the stakes for deposit competition. Yeah, and one of the things I think is really interesting is in that in that relationship segment, you know, one of the, the constants of banking is there's always the hot money. So people know there's hot money, you know, maybe in the branch world where somebody was coming in and shot or, you know, calling and shopping CD rates, you had a pretty good sense of who the hot money depositors were because they're the ones calling, you know, every week asking about rates. But, but you didn't have a good sense of the, the sort of, the sort of, uh, that silent attrition, like you're, like you're saying with, with the, dig, with the proactive outreach, it's kind of interesting. One of the things we've seen is the more proactive you are with a competitive, but more moderate rate, it's a differentiating factor, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're able to attract and grow relationships and those people that are not necessarily looking for the, the highest rate in the market. Yeah. Those people are the ones who are leaving. And so, and so you're able to, to at least manage this repricing so it's not necessarily as extreme as if you're going out to, you know, top of the market bank rate type stuff um, where you're, where you're, you know, basically, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, top of the market, pure digital origination uh, bank rate plays is, is basically a wholesale funding in granular chunks. It is. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) And yeah. And so that's the difference between a relationship strategy versus a, you know, a a wholesale funding strategy. And there's flavors of wholesale funding. Um, I think the, 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 the bank rate by deposits at the highest rate uh, from people who have no other relationship with you is, is a form of that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I talk about a lot, the the virtues of modest pricing, the virtues of modest deposit rate pricing are obviously better short-term net interest margins. Uh, Number two, less stress downstream on uh, retention of dollars. Uh, Number three, um, interestingly, when you price more more modestly, that's a good way to say it's going to say conservatively, modestly is probably even better work. You wake up fewer of your own sleeping customers. So in other words, if you're going to offer me 5%, okay, I'll move the money. 375, 4%, maybe not. And then there's a spectrum there on, you know, that sort of thing. So what we've seen in our campaign results where we track, uh, you know, accounts opened by people targeted for specific types of offers and how that relates to the change in overall deposits is uh, when your price is more modest, your new money percentage increases, um, your repricing percentage decreases because you're waking up fewer of your own customers. Um, so everyone knows, everyone in the industry knows if you put a high enough rate in there, you can attract dollars. But especially right now where, you know, the roller coaster car may be near the top you know, uh, of the hill. Um, there's a ton of risk in overpricing right now. Um, and I think it's understandable the elasticity that got created in a short period of time in the pricing environment, almost guaranteed there would be some overpricing going on. One of the interesting, I'll just, <laughs> this is kind of half joking, but I've had clients kind of make fun of their competition, kind of deride them. And then I'll ask them later on, well, how are you setting your deposit pricing? And they'll say, well, we're, we're matching what they're paying down the street. I thought, I thought you said they were idiots. Um, you know, why, <laughs> why are you relying on them for your pricing strategy? You know, so the alternative is, and this is validated by the campaign results that we look at every day. Um, 
thinking about uh, a spectrum where on one end you have propensity to buy or bringing deposits on the other end you have rate. And if the more that I'm gathering deposits on the high propensity end of the spectrum, the less I have to use rate to get the deposits, the more I have to go across to lower propensity buyers. I have to make up for the lack of propensity with rate. So what are those propensity factors? Um, some are institutional. Uh, they have a large number of services with you. They're committed to you. Um, they, they, you have their transactional relationship. Uh, some are, you know, a demonstrated history of buying certain types of products or funding certain types of products, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of different indicators in the data that we see that show up consistently that can identify a high propensity buyer. So to your point, high frequency in those high propensity segments with more modest pricing is more sustainable growth. Um, and it's less of turn on a high rate, see what happens, turn it off real quick when you get around funding. That, that's a bad strategy. It's not sustainable. Um, versus uh, a more relationship-driven, data-driven approach. More like what we do on the lending side, where we, you know, we price loans down to the basis point based on data, on risk, and, um, you know, other factors with deposits. We can do that, you know, but, and we have an infusion having really unique campaign results data to help us zero in on the trade-off between volume and price and um, new money repriced money retention, halo effects, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so increasingly people are, you know, getting bombarded with messages from different type of providers. You know, there's always been a sense of there's some competition of, you know, I mean, customers are choosing people, you know, I think smart guy said that, you know, these, 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 you know, don't think about cash cow funding, you know, people have, people have feelings in, in our messaging. And so, um, you know, people are choosing from a lot of different providers, you know, banks, credit unions, uh, even fintech types, type stuff, direct banks. So uh, what we see is there, is there a difference in approach or s- between banks and credit unions, for example? Um, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, I think, a lot of the differences, I think the banks um, s- struggle a little bit more with concentration because the more commercial orientation of the business model leads to, um, you know, more of the really high balance account holders, uh, you know, and, and commercial deposits also that it can be more volatile. Uh, so I think that's part of what goes on there. I think there is a loyalty factor with um, credit unions that, um, you know, relates to the whole nature of that business model that probably helps them a little bit on retention. Uh, so those are s- some factors as well. Um, I, I go back to that, you know, the savings component of, of credit unions is a larger piece. Um, and so uh, that's been a blessing, I would say, for credit unions is to have a larger chunk of funding mix in traditional savings, which is priced very modestly. So they're probably taking more of a hit, that money moving out. Whereas, you know, banks don't have typically that level of, uh, of funding in that particular bucket. So there's some nuances with retention and how that's affected and repricing. 
based on essentially funding mix because of the business model of a credit union versus bank. And also the concentration piece is also a, a key piece. One thing I would say, going back to the customer relationship management component, um, and just been in the industry, as long as you and I have been in the industry, you know, we, you can, we can roll our eyes, you know, all the talk about relationship banking, most banks are still run by Alco. And, um, but it doesn't have to be an either or. And, and so we have some really unique ways of integrating essentially CRM metrics with, uh, balance sheet portfolio metrics where you can bring the two together and really understand your exposure, your risk exposure, but also your upside potential, uh, for growth specifically. And this is a really over a little bit oversimplified. But if you look at the typical makeup of the deposit base of a credit union or a bank, the largest population in, you know, uh, almost across the board is are people who have a checking account with you where you don't have their savings wallet. And, um, that's a, every client out there, credit union bank has a meaningful population in that bucket. And when you start to stratify those checking balances, you find populations that are almost guaranteed to have savings sellers somewhere else. And so what you're able to do is to leverage the propensity factor associated with the checking account to go capture that savings wallet by using more modest pricing versus going out to the street and, and asking for new money. Oh, great. I'm going to get a hundred percent new money. Yeah. But you're going to have to pay a hundred basis points more to get it. So what have you really accomplished? And you're going to have more stress when that money matures because new money buyers have less loyalty to you. Um, those that have demonstrated a willingness to bring me deposits in the, in the past are less, um, resistant to bringing you more and are more likely to stick with you in the future. So a lot of bankers have outsmarted themselves by trying to avoid repricing by requiring new money and the cost of new money ends up being a much lower cost than the actual repricing costs when you actually look at it at the end of the day. Yeah, I think another really interesting uh, metric that illustrates that concept is the differential in response rate between prospect and uh, customer or member. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we, we've, we've, we've done multiple, multiple campaigns with clients that are offering the same, the same rate for both. And the, 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 customer response rate is a is multiples higher than prospects and so that just illustrates you have to work harder all things else being equal to attract that new money that has lower awareness lower consideration by definition um and and have less less impact and so that's you know and, and and there's a place for that i mean obviously we're running campaigns with clients where that you know they they want to both grow they both want to expand current relationships and attract new but to your point, you have to be less, you don't have to be as desperate and, and pay, you know, absolute top of markets and, and get your, your funding, uh, if you have a kind of a balanced approach that, that, uh, considers expansion and acquisition as an example. Yeah, I mean, your funding need is what your funding need is. And so volume is always a factor. The key to understand how the volume intersects with pricing to get what you need, but, but don't pay any more than you have to pay to get that level of funding at a point in time. And, that's where marketing campaigns, especially digital, can be, should, should be, frankly, a, an integrated, a key part of your toolkit for managing deposits because you can swap out rates and terms literally out of the day. On the fly. 
yeah. on the fly based on the actual volume you have coming in and how your your portfolio needs are shifting and changing. Um, and but that requires a commitment to that process and a, and a commitment to the discipline of of the integration of, of of the data analytics and the marketing to your Alco process. I pointed out recently in a, a CFO forum for Massachusetts bankers that. You can have the greatest Alco process in the world. You can high five at the end of the meeting. Like we got the, the, the perfect pricing strategy. You can put that on your rate cards and put it in every desk drawer of every branch. But if no one sees those rate cards, it does not affect your portfolio. So you have to have a way of act, you know, making your strategy actionable. And in the digital banking world we live in today, it's going to require proactive outreach through digital marketing channels to make your strategy actually impact your portfolio. Yeah, I think one of the really cool things about digital marketing is it's not just, I mean, some people think, okay, digital advertising means they're going to open the account online. The reality is we're seeing digital have an impact probably larger in branch uh, than even online. Now, you know, it's, it's they may be calling their banker or emailing their banker after seeing the ad uh, since it's, it's a relationship. But it's it's truly omnichannel, uh, digital inf- digital media influences both online and offline originations. Uh, we have clients that don't have actually any online origination, and they're using a multi-channel digital mix to drive, yeah. you know, banker and branch originations. So, yeah, and one of the really interesting phenomenon within that category has been at, um, you know, CDs. Pre-pandemic, direct mail was really the dominant channel for CDs. That the demographic that buy CDs wanted to bring in the postcard to the branch and make sure they got the rate that's on that postcard. I think the the pandemic forced a lot of folks to learn how to use digital banking tools, to use QR codes at restaurants to get access a menu, all of this sort of thing. And so the campaigns that we've done the last year, year plus. For CDs, the digital channels the performance has substantially improved, which is just a fascinating kind of broader uh, trend of uh, I think demographics as well as technology um, in a category that's you know let's face it, CDs are not the sexiest category, but but even CD purchasing has become a digital, you know, has become a digital uh, a business um, compared to you know, what it used to be. Well, I think one of the things that we've, we've learned too is it can't just be a, it's digital, but can't be a single channel digital. That's right. Because particularly in in the demographic that matches up well with CD buyers, you know, they may or may not be active on Facebook, for example. Uh, they may or may not have an email. And so by using a variety of channels, including in some cases, you know, connected TV, you improve the chances you're you're talking to that, to that audience if they're not active on, you know, one particular channel. And then also just the repeated message. So, yeah, you know, and I, yeah, I just say to, to back that up. I mean, we're a performance-based company, and so when we we're paying to put marketing in the market, and if we don't get results, we have an expense, but no no revenue. We don't like that, and so we, uh, you know, we're always looking to optimize channel mix, and we're committed to omni-channel. And what we found is. 95% of the time, maybe 98% of the time, response correlates with number of ways I can show the message to the audience. And um, so we are like hyper-optimizing 
continually because it's fundamental to our business model. And that's the conclusion we've come to is omnichannel might be a buzzword, but it's real and it works. All right. We talked a lot about deposits. I want to make sure before we leave, because uh, loans are, you know, loans are still a thing too, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I spoke on on loans last week at a, at a conference uh, in Indiana. And um, part of that, I went back and ran a um, quarter-by-quarter response rate curve for loan cross-sell campaigns going back to Q1 2020. Um, response rates are down a little bit at Q4 and Q1, last year and Q1 this year from the previous uh, 18, 24 months. But they're still at historic, at historic averages you know, they're maintaining very well. Um, and you could, the little bit of drop off we've seen, you could argue, is that actually just tighten credit criteria versus demand? How much of that is demand versus, you know, a little bit more conservative underwriting? Um, but we've seen loan volumes hold up really well. I will say this, um, and it really, it's the other side of the same coin that we just talked about on deposits. If you're, Concerned a maybe a little bit about liquidity, and so you're you're trying to be a little less aggressive at growing loans because you're you're funding issues, or you're just concerned about you know risk, and you want to you want to be a little more careful with lending. The place to start is relationship based lending, and when you go into your deposit base, and again, same analogy on the savings wallet I talked about earlier. Um, for every client out there. The largest population you have are checking households who don't have credit with you. And given that that's a sizable population for every client, there are all kinds of good opportunities in there to expand off the checking account into lending. And the checking data is super predictive of both capacity to borrow as well as uh, likelihood to have credit need. Um, obviously, the higher the checking balance, the more likely they are to pay their loan consistently. That's, you know, a pretty obvious statement. But on the flip side, you know, propensity to buy correlates with deposits uh, low to high as well. So when you look at your high deposit households, who for most institutions, it's 30% of households controlling 95% of deposit funding. If I'm able to add a home equity to that relationship, I, not only do I get a high performing credit among people who tend to have large, high property values and chunks of lendable equity, um, but I also put a 10 year anchor on that checking account uh, in the form of the loan term. So anytime I can spend $1 to grow loans, I get a high performing asset on the balance sheet. And with that same dollar, I make a significant improvement in retention of, of, a, of a high deposit relationship. I want to spend that dollar every day of the week. Most clients are not fully taking advantage of that opportunity. So it's all about prioritization to me with lending. You know, how aggressively are you trying to grow? And based on that, start with the most targeted relationship rooted uh, and then see how far that gets you and then build it from there. And one of the side benefits of that is your relationship-based buyers are buying loans based on history, trust, relationship, and not based on whether your rate is 25 basis points, higher or lower. It's it's not a price-based, it's relationship-based, it's trust-based, you know me. You're going to consider my application seriously. You've met my needs in the past. Very different than you're offering 475. They're offering 450 down the street. 
you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about building off of relationships. So parallel, kind of the other side of the same coin in the deposit gathering and the rationales are different, you know, risk management and, and, and quality growth and so forth. But the retention benefits of expanding relationships are the same. If I expand on savings, the savings wallet, or if I'm expanding into a lending relationship off that transactional relationship, same principles. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's where it kind of works together. If if you help expand, you know, even if you even if the need is a little bit more skewed towards deposits, um, continuing to do you know high quality loan growth can sort of meet both needs. Help expand margins, um, you know, perhaps re- replace runoff from lower margin loans, as well as defend that relationship. You know, defend and grow the the, the deposit relationship. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it kind of reminds to me. It's a reminder that this business is a matter of sort of growing the balance sheet holistically. Um, and if anything, this year has reminded reminded us that, that that relationships matter a lot more than you know um, wholesale funding, uninsured deposits, lumpy. Yeah, and I think to put it succinctly, you know, there's a, one of the most one of the more prominent words in the current currency of discussions on a lot of subjects is sustainability. Yeah. Sustainable deposit growth is rooted in relationships. Yep. Period. Well said. Not price, not price, but relationships. Yeah. And building relationships means meeting those needs proactively. Right. <laughs> right. And in a digital in a digital banking world, that requires yeah. a focused yeah. effort of outreach, consistent outreach. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, Tim, thanks again for coming on the show and sharing your insights. As it's been great discussion as always. Yeah, always fun. Enjoy it. All right. Till next time. That's it for today on Top Quartile. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Top Quartile wherever you find podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, we'd really appreciate a five-star rating. And if you're interested in getting an opportunity assessment, head over to infusionmarketinggroup.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.